0: As you know, my name is Clark Dixon. I'm a pastoral intern here at Crawford Avenue. I'm very appreciative of this opportunity to uh, come and bring God's word to you. I would like to start off our time with a time of prayer and then jump right into the text. If you bow your heads. God, thank you for bringing us all here today in your providence. Thank you for your mercies and your word that you've given us. And thank you for your son that by his sacrifice, we can now be pure. And that we can now see your word as beautiful as, as beautiful as it is. God, I help I ask you to help me to be faithful to your word and that I will preach it in such a way that it will change the hearts of your people. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. I must apologize. I do have a head cold, so if I start coughing uncontrollably, just forgive me. All right, so. If you would turn to your Bibles, uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, and on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible rather thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. and In him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven's, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Many things and many people in this world today claim to be supreme. In this media-soaked culture that we live in, we are constantly told, buy this, watch this, wear this, vote for him, listen to this song, read this book. It really tells you how it is. Everywhere we go, messages scream at us, this is what's wrong with this world. This talking head has the answer to the world's problems. Hundreds of different points of view run in a rat race to gain our affections. They tell us we need to get back to the old way of doing things. I mean that's really where we went wrong. We forgot where we came from. Some of us even say we need to get rid of those old ways so we can move forward. Some of us think our political system is the greatest form of evil on this planet. It's filled with lies and bribes, and surely, if we take back our government, things will get better. So, we prop up different candidates that we think are going to change things. Another point of view, or worldview, tells us that we just need to have our best life now. I mean, that's the point of life. So, with a smile on our face and a quick prayer to God, thanking Him that we weren't born on some other country across the ocean, we dive into stuff. A new car will make us happy. Having a better vacation with the family will make things better. And at the root of this is a worldview that we ourselves are to fulfill our desires. That's what should bring us happiness. We get caught up in a hamster wheel of constantly trying to keep up with all this stuff that was supposed to make us happy and fulfilled and suddenly we realize that all this stuff doesn't make us happy. So wisely, unlike our government, we listen to Dave Ramsey and make sacrifices to get out of this snowball of debt. We tell ourselves, once we get out of debt, we will find peace. Fortunately, in our text today, the answer to all these questions are made clear to us. What is, or who is, the point of all of this? As we begin to look at our text, the way Paul starts it sheds light on his passion for this question, and I—I'm sure that in your life you've had a conversation with somebody who just got engaged or married. We just had a marriage in our church yesterday with Cameron and uh, Mary, and probably if you were to go to them right in about a week or so—not now, but in about a week—you um, would find Mary or Cameron saying something like this: "You say, okay, so how's the weather? How's things going? This, that, and the other thing." And then all of a sudden, bam, Mary mentions that one person, and she's off like a racehorse. She's ooing and in how awesome Cameron is, how everything he says is just so funny. How you know he, they finish each other's senses and everything's just going great. And you start to see them float off into cloud nine right before you as you gag a little bit in your mouth. Now, now I probably shouldn't go too far, because I will be much, much worse, just asking in my family. But in all seriousness, this is what Paul is like when he's in Colossians. Here, let's uh, begin in verse 9, in chapter 1. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom, and understanding, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the, the inheritance of the saints in light, And he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Notice... Paul is talking about the Colossians. We have not ceased to pray for you. May you be strengthened with all power. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Paul here is describing what God has and is doing for Christians. And just like in our conversations with the newlywed, Paul mentions that one person Who is the cause of all these great joys? Here, let's start back in verse 13. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And Paul mentions that Son, and boom, he is off like a racehorse. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him and by him all things were created in heaven heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, rather thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he was before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church in the beginning of all. Whoa, 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 Paul, slow down. There were times in my preparation for this sermon... I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. I mean, I I couldn't take it all in. It was like Paul could not say it faster or with more passion. In this beautiful passage, the Holy Spirit by Paul is telling us what is the point of the letter. To get a sneak peek, let's look down at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that and everything... He might be preeminent. This life-altering statement is the reason why Paul is writing this letter. Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. For those who may not know, the word preeminent means here the highest ranking. There is no one higher. In layman's terms, he is the top dog. Now, many, many pages have been written to delve deeply into this passage of Scripture throughout church history. But uh, with our time today, let's just look at three ways Christ is preeminent. First, number one, he is preeminent as Creator, God. Two, he is preeminent as powerful ruler. And three, he is preeminent as reconciler. All right, so again, he is preeminent as Creator, God. He is preeminent as powerful ruler and preeminent as reconciler. So number one, if you have ever had a Jehovah Witness, has anybody ever had a Jehovah Witness come to their uh, door and tell them and witness about their God? Whoa, okay, I was about to say, wow, that's shocking. Okay, so, um, they may tell you something to the effect that Jesus was not God, but he was a created person. Like the old Arian heresy of the early church, some today hold that Jesus the son of the father is not God himself. Rather, he's just some highly enlightened person, but not God. And if we were honest, most today believe some form of this. You might hear a co-worker or a neighbor say, Jesus was, you know, he was a good moral teacher, but God, no. However, our text shows us something very different. Let us begin in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. As a child, or maybe as an adult, have you ever wondered, what is God like? I mean, I I know he's loving and all, and he's kind, but sure, what is he? Um, I know we can look to scriptures, but how do we find God in the scriptures? If you want to know just what God is like, Look, took Jesus of the scriptures. With our time, let us read a few passages of scripture to shed light on this. Now, all right, in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we are told this He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. This is a truly profound statement. Just consider how great a sin it would have been for a Jewish person to say, A man is exactly like God. I mean, the Pharisees must have gone crazy when Jesus made his claims, I and the Father are one. Passages like Isaiah 45, 5, I'm the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. must have come screaming to the forefronts of their minds when Jesus was making his claims. Or maybe the second commandment came to their minds. You shall not have or make for yourself a car- carven image. Or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. What those Jews who did not believe Jesus uh, must have thought was God is not some in, um, some visible image that we can see, but What those Jews did not see with their blinded eyes is that Jesus Christ is the very image of God. You want to know what God is like? Look to Christ. You will see him in a perfect picture of him. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because he is God. Philippians 2 says... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heavens and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, isn't it interesting that the very thing the second commandment commands us not to do to false idols, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, is the very thing that all creation will do at the end of this age to Jesus. Folks, our Lord Jesus is God. But oh, oh, the critic comes right back in this text and says something to the effect. It seems to me that there is a contradiction with this verse. In verse 15, we read that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And the argument goes, if Jesus is the firstborn, he must have been a created being. Now, very, very briefly, there are two ways that the term firstborn is used in Scripture. First, you can use the firstborn in a physical way. Jacob was not born before Esau. But there is another way in Psalms 89, 27, this term firstborn is used. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. In Psalms 89, the immediate meaning is that is a song about King David. Now, we all know that David was not the firstborn, but God gave him the rank of a firstborn. He was the head honcho. He was the king of Israel. And this is the meaning of the term firstborn in verse 15. Jesus is the head honcho. He ranks number one. And since... Christ is the highest ranking of creation. It only stands to reason that Christ is the creator of it. Look down at verse 16 in our text. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, quickly, it would be logically impossible... For Jesus to be part of creation because if he was part of creation he could not create himself. And I know that's a bit of a noodle cooker but what I want you to see is throughout scripture God is clearly the one who made all things. Genesis 1 1 proclaims, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 verse 1 through 3 says, in the beginning God Created the heavens and the earth. I'm sorry. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creating person of the Trinity that creates all things. And the text also goes on to tell us why He made all things. Look down at the end of verse 16. All things were created through him and for him. Church, we must get it into our minds that all things were created for Christ. The heavens, this earth, the flowers of the field, your children, this country, and yes, even Satan himself was created for Christ and his glory. Christ is the point of all things. And he's the creator God of all things, and he is the highest. Now moving on to our second point. He is preeminent as powerful ruler. Now y'all who may be my age or a little bit younger may have played the game Zoo Tycoon. In this game you may, you play as a zoo designer. You create animal exhibits, you lay out your park, you uh, even dis- decide how much you're gonna charge people to come into your park. You decide how much you're gonna charge for a hot dog. Now, there may be some of you here that have played that game who built a line exhibit right in the middle of the park and broke down the fence just so you can watch all your guests run out like crazy out of the park. Now, the point of this is that in this game you control whatever happens in the zoo. By the click of the mouse you brought chaos or order into the world that you controlled. Basically, you ruled it. Now, Christ is much more powerful than that. Go back to verse 17. And he is before all things. And here it is. And in him all things hold together. As I hinted before, Christ is before all things. There was nothing before him. He was he has existed eternally. And this is yet another affirmation that Christ is God. But what I want us to zero in on is on the second half of this verse. Many of us probably have been in a workforce or at some time or maybe some kind of organization. And and in these uh, organizations there may be this one person that holds it all together. I mean you guys know what I'm talking about. You may be this person This is the kind of person, or guy or girl, that we go to when things go bad. Everybody turns to him. This person is often the one that picks up the slack. Maybe you are this person. And if this person was to leave, the whole thing would come crashing down. Well, we see something similar to this in the passage. Here, look at verse 17. And in him, all things are. Whole, together. Why does the world keep going on? It seems that at any moment this world could break out into World War III. I mean just look at nature itself. We know with modern science that the whole universe is so perfectly fine-tuned that if the strength of gravity or, or the way atoms interact with each other was just a tiny, and I mean a tiny bit different, this whole universe would explode and we would be gone in an instant. But oh, Christ has a better plan for us. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and look at verse 3 with me. I always loved to hear the sound of the pages, it always made me think like rain. All right, so. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. We all know that God spoke this world into existence. He also holds all things together with His word. With just a word, He can cause a baby to grow in his or her mother's womb. With just a word, He can literally turn back billions of gallons of waters, and make the storm calm. Which just the sound of his voice, he can say, let there be stars, and trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars will spread across the universe. And the size of this universe is so incredibly big that we as humans can not even wrap our minds around. And brothers and sisters, our God is something that we, our God's power is something that we can't even really understand. We can't even wrap our minds around. He truly rules over everything. There is nothing out of His reach. And verse 18 shows us this. He is the head of the church, His body, and He's the beginning of the church by virtue of being the firstborn from the dead. Jesus is the supreme one. He creates all. He rules all. He sustains all. He is God. And notice what Paul says next. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And, O oh, beloved chosen ones of God, Christ is above all, for he is fully God, as Paul says in verse 19. This preeminence has so many far-reaching effects in our lives, one being the third point, he Jesus Christ is preeminent as universal reconciler. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, there is, something, there is something wrong with this world. We all know it. Unbelievers even know it. All one has to do is look at the news for just an hour and know that this world is messed up. I mean, what kind of people spend all of their time just to try to gather stuff that they can't keep? We look at the world and we see almost nothing but evil. Mothers and fathers killing their own babies. Men going after men and women going after women. Lying and just saying the right thing is now acceptable to get into office. We see big fat countries pushing themselves on little countries just to get what they want. We see unjust wars that murder millions. People of every walk of life disregarding the commands of God to take care of this earth government imposing unjust laws on its people just to control them. People lie, they cheat, they steal, they even profane the Lord's name. They slander each other. In just a few words, the world is self-centered. They're constantly just trying to fulfill their own desires. And nothing is going to stop them. But, There is something wrong with this picture. There's something missing. Where are we in this picture? I mean, yes, all the day long we can point to this world and just how bad it's getting, but Scripture paints a picture for us that is much deeper and much darker. Ephesians 2 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the courses of this world, Fallen the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Romans 3 proclaims, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned together. I am not... they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Their throats is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of Asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their path is ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Then just look down at verse 21 in our text. And you who once were alienated and hostile and mind and doing evil deeds, listen, before Christ we were not merely apathetic towards God, but we were completely and totally His enemy. Stephen Lawson once said in a sermon, At the heart of the human problem is the heart of humans. The problem is not merely what's out there and what we see on TV and what we see in the culture, but the problem is mi- primarily what's in here. It's our hearts that the problem. We do not put Christ as preeminent. We more than anybody else need desperately to be saved. And oh that is where Christ and his preeminence and reconciliation comes in. Now, reconciliation, for those who may not know, is that God is making us right with him. Humanity has fallen, and with us came down creation. Thus, Christ the Redeemer came into this world to change that. Verse 20 speaks, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. In Christ's redemptive work, He is not only saving us, His people, He is redeeming creation. He is bringing about the new heavens and the new earth. Romans 8 8 tells us that creation was subject to futility at the fall in the garden, and this creation will be set free from the bondage when Christ comes back. But, O brothers and sisters, What we really need to grasp, what God is telling us here in the passage, is that we ourselves are in bondage. Verse 21 makes that clear. Our Lord tells us in the book of John in chapter 8 that we were enslaved to sin. All are enslaved to sin. And each and every one of us deserves the wrath of God. But oh glory, God in his love sent his son who lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law that we could not fulfill ourselves. And he, the supreme one, went to the cross and took on the wrath of God for us. He stood in our place and he is the one that spoke all things into existence, is the same one who was on the cross and said, it is finished. His blood has made perfect peace with the Father for us, His sheep, and listen, His preeminent blood is so completely powerful, so completely complete, that it can and will wash away any blood off your hands if you turn to Him by the gift of faith. Your guilt, your shame, your sin was placed on Him. Christ, who created all and who rules all, will save all of his people. Not one will be lost. John six thirty nine proclaims to us, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Whether you are a believer or not, I beg with you, I plead with you, do not shake your fist at God and say, My sin's too great to be saved from. I am too far to be redeemed. I tell you this now, with the authority of Scripture, that Christ, the preeminent one, is greater than your sins. And brothers and sisters, do not tarry in confessing your sins to the Lord. You who are struggling right now over this Christ, don't wait, for his just wrath is coming. And oh, turn to him, turn to him in repentance and faith. As this message comes to a close, we all need to meditate on this beautiful truth found in our passage today. Our Creator King, who has accomplished our salvation, is truly supreme. He is the point of everything. He is the answer to the world's problems. Therefore, how is He preeminent in your lives? Do you make your life's decisions in such a way that you want to proclaim Christ? Fathers, do you go to work and come home to your family every day for his glory? Mothers, is your day centered around Christ's preeminence? Do you, children, obey your parents so you can obey Christ? Do we take Dave's Ramsey's course on getting out of debt just to get out of debt? We, or is it because we want to live more for him? Those of us who are not married— Do we use the time to please ourselves or do we try to run after him who will please our soul? Do we come to our church, Crawford Avenue, so that we can lift him high? Do we bear with each other patiently as we work together and wait for this church to be organized? Do we open our checkbooks in such a way that we say we want Christ to be reigning over Augusta? Each and every area of our lives should be conformed in such a way that all that we do is because of Christ. Maybe a more pointed question. How do you honor Him in your suffering? There are many here and many who may be listening to this message who are going through nearly indescribable indescribable suffering. There are those who are grieving and are still carrying the scars of losing a child. You may be suffering from a great physical pain, and you are wondering to yourself, God, why won't you take this pain away from me? There are those who are suffering through deep and dark depression, who think they cannot even get out of this cage. There are those who are struggling and dealing with the unnatural pains of loneliness. We don't have time, but this is where Paul goes next in our passage. He rejoices in his suffering, because through it, He shows a greater display of Christ's glory. Brothers and sisters, our sovereign God is using all things for our good and His glory. And what we need to come to understand is that He is giving us suffering so that we can have the great blessing of seeing Him more in our lives and showing it to others. Please don't waste your God-given suffering. Use it to run to the foot of the cross. Use it to cling to him tighter. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. (sighs) No, I'm not saying any of this because I'm better at this. I need more grace, and I promise you I need more grace than any of you. I don't know about you, but my prayers are often, God... I just want to want you more. There are some times that I have overwhelmed with the burden of my apathy towards my God. It brings me to the pit of despair. But in a recent book that I read on Christian meditation by David Saxton, I ran across a quote that helped me lift this burden off my shoulders. On page 118 of Saxton's book, he wrote, To overcome the busyness, that results in a failure to meditate, one must be honest about what is more important to him. Why does a person find time to watch a two-hour movie and yet not find time to read God's Word and meditate upon it? It is because he is simply does not see the value in it and is unwilling to spare time for it. Thus the way to overcome excuses is to admit to the Lord that he does not retain first place in our lives as proverbs 28:13 counsels he that covers his sins shall not prosper and whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy the initial way to correct this lack of biblical priorities is to recognize it as sin of neglect and ask the lord's forgiveness and help my prayer is that I, myself, and all of you lean on the Lord. We need God in this endeavor to honor Christ in our lives. We need supernatural help. It's not something that we can cook cook up in ourselves. And I pray that God will continue to work in our hearts as we confess our sins, so that on that day when we see him face to face and we'll be holy and blameless, and as we are there, we cry out, All I have is Christ. Would you bow your head in prayer? God, thank you for your word that you've given us. And thank you for your son who is preeminent over every square inch of this universe. God, we live in such a time that pulls us away from Christ. God, why do we settle for such little trifles? Why do we think that we can find happiness than anything else than you, God? We ask you by your power that we will see you more clearly, that uh, that you through our lives will come more real to us. We ask for your spirit that he will heal us, would transform our lives in such a way that all we do have is Christ. And God, I ask that you will bring us your knowledge, bring us your wisdom, that we can come and obey you, God, and honor you as preeminent. In Christ's name I pray, amen.